Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, January 10th, 2017. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page XXVIII, the last paragraph, starting with men and women drink drink essentially. Today's readers are The 12 Steps, Lauren N., The 12 Traditions, Esther F. Reading the text today, Lisa H., Katie F., and Rachel W. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, January 9th, 2017, is 9463. 9463. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a vision for you big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lauren N. to read the 12 steps. Thank you very much, uh, Lauren N. from New York, uh, recovered for today. Amen. 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for our knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much, and I'll pass. 
Thank you, Lauren N. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F., a compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 Traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outsized issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther F. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderator is one year and for reader is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the person sharing should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page XXVIII, the last paragraph beginning with men and women drink essentially, and ending, reading five sentences, ending with a firm resolution not to drink again. We'll be reading this for emphasis, revisiting this for emphasis. I will now ask Lisa H. to begin our reading today. Good morning. Thank you, Melanie, for your service. This is Lisa H., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Tennessee. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time 
differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. Good morning again. This is Lisa H. Um, recovered in Tennessee. And um, wow, with good reason, we're revisiting this paragraph again for emphasis because there's so much here. Um, and, and the things that stand out to me, of course, are they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. And of course, for me, um, I got that sense of ease and comfort um, with the food. Um, I also, um, when I was, that was my that was my only solution to being irritable. I would say, for me, the one that the the uh, one word that would describe me most would have been irritable. Um, and I didn't know how else to deal with this irritability. Um, and I, you know, even though I thought I had this wonderful relationship with my God, I was really, I was so blocked. Um, and and uh, then after becoming abstinent and working the steps, um, I still get irritable. I mean, things still come up. Um, I, I love it when um, somebody on the line says, you know, even after I put the food down, um, I feel I feel my feelings a whole lot more. Um, and so when I do become irritable, I have I have um, a solution. I have a place to go. I have a higher power who is always close at hand, um, who I can turn to. And and certainly, if something happens, and um, whatever that irritability, discontented, if if it's still there, if I can't, um, if I can't get rid of it, I have a whole slew of fellows um, that are ready and willing to help me um, uh, with my irritability and helping me to work through that um, and and let go of it. Um, to me, this is a it's a huge process of letting go um, and getting unblocked, um, you know, and and so that I can live in the sunlight of the spirit. Um, the last thing is this. Um, remorse. You know, I am so many times for decades and decades, um, I didn't have any idea about the allergy of the body. I mean, this to me is what they're talking about, you know, um, actually both the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, but I had no idea um, what what the sugar was, was causing or was creating. You know, I'd be abstinent from it for a long time. And then someone would say, you know, you can reintroduce, oh, Katie, bar the door, here I go. Um, and I was always remorseful. I was always going to be the next day. Um, anyway, I'm thankful and grateful for, for this program um, that I can now be joyfully on the other side of that. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa H. Who would like to comment on those five sentences of that particular paragraph? Melissa C. Kim G. 
Okay, I have several here. Let me see what I have. I know that I've heard some. I have a Harlan G. I believe I heard a Lisa. Leah M. Tina S. Melissa C. Gotcha in there, Tina. Kim G. And Tina S. Who else? Monica. Leah S. Amy C. Kathy C. Okay, I have a few more here. Let me see what I have. I have um, Monica. And I have Leah S. And then Amy. Is that Amy G? Yes. Thanks, Amy. And then Kathy C? Yes. Thank you. I'm going to go with that lineup. That's about 10 here. And that will go with Harlan G, I believe Elisa, Leah M, Melissa C, Kim G, Tina S, Monica T, um, Leah S, Amy G, and Kathy C. Thank you. Good morning, Harlan G. Good morning, Monica. Thank you. Harlan G, recovered compulsive old reader from Scottsdale, Arizona. And if this if this book was a building, this paragraph would be the cornerstone of that building. This paragraph is so quintessential to my recovery that its importance is probably underestimated by what I just said. This says it all. I knew I was killing myself, but I did it anyway. The last thing in the world I wanted to be doing was eating more food And the only thing I wanted to be doing was eating more food. And if this sounds like what I said yesterday, then if you want to get mad at me, get mad at me because this is what I want to say. This paragraph tells me my life story in a very, very few short sentences. And it tells me that food is never the problem. And all of my life, from the time I was a kid, I looked at the world and the world looked at me and they said, why is he eating so much? And I said, why aren't they eating so much? Because what I didn't understand was that food, the effect, was doing something for me that it was not doing for them. And that's why they didn't covet it like I did. Because the problem is never food. The problem is the buildup of everyday, normal human emotions. And the pain of not eating is so relentless, so excruciating, so debilitating that I cannot stand that pain anymore. And even though it's injurious, I will eat the food in search of a relief from that pain. And the food will give me a temporary respite from that pain of about eight seconds. For about eight to nine seconds, I feel fantastic. And then the horror, the guilt, the shame, and the remorse will set in. But by that time, I have triggered the physical allergy. The craving is set up in me. And I cannot tell the truth from the false when I start. I tell myself I'm going to eat two Oreo cookies. And I eat as many as I can get my hands on and then some. Because the physical allergy will make it impossible for me to stop. And I will eat Illinois and most of Wisconsin. Now, if I cannot eat because of the allergy, and I cannot keep from eating because of the twist of the mind, in search of this effect, I am powerless over food, and my life is unmanageable. And I will 
pass through the well-known stages of a spree emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to eat that way again. And I will repeat it over and over again. And unless I experience an entire spiritual awakening, there's no hope of my recovery. So it begs the question, what if I could find a way to live where my mind does not lock in on that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating the food. And the process of bringing that power into my life is called recovery. And that's what this is all about, Charlie Brown. This is about substituting the effect of the spiritual awakening for the death-defying, devastating, nightmarish effect of the food. So that for 18 years, I have not compulsively overeaten. And for 18 years, I have not wanted to. And I am abstaining happily. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Lisa? I'm hesitant about that. Did I hear Lisa? If not, let's move on to Leah M. And we'll come back. Thank you, Melanie. This paragraph describes me perfectly. Uh, this is the vicious cycle that um, I would experience, you know, day in and day out. When I eat certain foods for an effect, I cannot control the amount of food I eat. Something happens to me when I put certain substances into my body that have an effect. I develop this insatiable appetite for more of these substances because once I start, I have little or no control. It's like taking a match and throwing it into a bucket of gasoline. Whoosh! And for a long, long, long time, I didn't care how much I ate. I wanted to overeat. I actually found it fun. Um, But the day came when I did not want the consequences. The day came I didn't want to be obese. I didn't want to be depressed. I didn't want to be miserable. I no longer wanted to isolate. Uh, I didn't want to have all those problems I was having as a result of this addiction, hurt my family, be sick and tired. And I said, I am not going to binge my brains out today. I am not going to seek that comfort in a cellophane bag and a bakery box. And I didn't realize I had a problem with my mind. Because when I really had enough, and I really, really, really did have enough, I had the necessity and I had the wish to stop. When I put my foot down and I said, no more, I'm not going to binge anymore, I'm not going to do that anymore, I'm through, it's the end. Everybody's going to be happy now with the new me. All of a sudden, I would change my mind, and having that first compulsive bite seemed like the best idea I had in a long, long time. The big book uses the word succumb. I would yield in. I didn't realize that I have a two-fold illness. I have a body that responds abnormally to certain substances, and I have a mind that sends me back to those foods which are killing me. When I get ready to pick up, that first bite. I can only remember what that substance does for me. Somehow I cannot remember what it does to me. I'm obsessed with the idea that it feels good, and I believe I know that this substance will make me feel better, and I take that first bite. It's like my pain has no memory. 
I'll continue to repeat this behavior, and it happened year after year after year, decade after decade, continuing to repeat this behavior, expecting different results, not learning from my experience. It's like I could not connect the dots. The program of recovery, the pain got so great, the urgency got so hot that the program of recovery gave me the steps to get undisturbed so I no longer needed to seek a substance outside of myself to get that sense of ease and comfort. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah M. Melissa C. Hi. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And um, I'm so glad that we're spending time really blowing this up because um, this just says it all. This really defines what my problem is. You know, I have a, I'm overly um, sensitive. I mean, that's the truth. I am irritable, discontent. I feel itchy inside. You know, that, when I saw it in words here, um, I said, oh, my God, that's me, you know, Um, and when I would feel that overwhelming discomfort with life, the only thought that gave me any comfort, um, any relief, was thoughts of food. You know, like I could somehow um, muscle through a really hard day because I had this little thought in my head, you're going to go home and you're going to eat. And, and I could, like, get through. You know, um, and and then also, once I would do that, um, I I wasn't calling the shots anymore. You know, it was like I took that bite, and then the bite took me. You know, I put the food in my mouth, and then the food took possession of me, and there was nothing I could do. And, you know, there are so many times in my life that I swore I wasn't doing this again. And I really, I meant it. You know, <laughs> like if you could have put me on a lie detector test, I, if you would have seen. I completely meant I'm not doing this anymore. And then I suffer, I think, from a form of senility where I would forget. And suddenly, you know, a, a small little lie, like I'm just going to have a little bit, you know, would seem reasonable, even though I had a whole history telling me that I could never do that, you know. And then the other thing is that sometimes I would set out knowing that I wasn't going for a small little bit. I would I would say, I'm going to pig out. I'm going to binge. But tomorrow, I'm going to get it together. And, um, you know, and tomorrow I could not get it together because I had activated, you know, the allergy inside me. And, you know, the other thing here is that it says, you know, other people can do this with um, without the same consequences. I've seen other people say, oh, my God, I need a piece of chocolate. And they do. They're probably feeling that discomfort. But they need a piece of chocolate, whereas I need all of the chocolate, you know, and, and then some. And then I'm off and running. And so the only solution um, is entire abstinence and and a transformation. I needed to recreate um, my brain. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Kim G. 
Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm so glad we are focusing yet again on these sacred sentences. So we, after they have succumbed to the desire again, so that desire is that mental twist. So I am totally sober, not having an allergic reaction. And my mind is telling me that I need relief. And what I do is I succumb, and I love the definition of succumb. It says to give way to a superior force, to yield, to surrender. And that's what it feels like when I'm in that restless, irritable discontent. So it's important we understand the difference between the allergy and the mental obsession. You know, if I've binged and I'm one or two days out, I'm usually pretty good getting back on my diet, getting back on track. For me personally, it's like, like day three, four, five, six, seven. I, I'm crawling out of my skin because of the allergy. As the food is coming out of me, my body is demanding more and more. But you see, if I'm three or four weeks out and I'm craving, I want that food, that's not a craving. The food is not in me. I cannot crave a food if it's not in me. That's the mental twist. That's why I need the steps. And that word succumb is huge, and I have to say, my opinion is we use that word slip in our fellowship, and it's a great disservice. Because we're not slipping. No one's accidentally put a brownie in my mouth. I have put my hand on that brownie and put it in my mouth. So I like to think of two examples I've had of phone calls to, to exhibit this. I've gotten a message from someone who told me that they had a slip last night, but they talked to their sponsor, and they're not counting their days over because we're so attached to the number of days that we have. And I asked her what happened. And she said that she went out to dinner with her family and she had dessert. And I said, well, can we agree that the definition of a slip is an accidental fall? And she said, yes. And I said, so you're telling me that a slip is that you're in a restaurant, you ask for a dessert menu, you decide what you want, you wait for the waiter to come over, the waiter comes over, you order that dessert, you wait till he comes back and you pick up your fork and you eat the dessert and that's a slip, that's succumbing to the desire again. And another phone call I got was a woman who was working late and she told me she doesn't eat flour, but she was so hungry she had a whole wheat bagel and because it was a whole wheat bagel, her and her sponsor decided it was just a slip. And I asked her, I said, you know what I heard? I heard, hi, my name is Kim, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a gin and tonic girl. I was really working late. I have had a happy hour. I had a couple Coors Lights. I'm not a Coors Light girl, so I'm going to consider myself sober. And that girl started laughing because she was an alcoholic, and she understood that would not fly at an AA meeting. But how many times that flies in an Overeaters Anonymous meeting? And that's why I'm in my three minutes. That's why it's so essential that we know what our abstinence is because we're abstinent or we're not. There's no gray area. Get with someone. Find out what your binge foods are, your ingredients, and your behaviors, and that way you will know on a daily basis if you're abstinent or not. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Tina S.? Thanks, Melanie. Tina S., compulsive eater, anorexic in Florida. Wow. Some great stuff here. You know, this kind of really takes me back to when I was a kid, you know, because how did I get to this place that um, – that I wanted that effect produced by alcohol, you know, and, and for me, it really reinforces the lack of power dilemma deal, you know, because I was not, I did not have the resources nor the capability to live life on life's terms. So therefore I had to find something so that I could function. And initially that was food, um, you know, cause initially food was my solution. And, and, you know, I, 
get emotional here because, you know, I didn't really want to look at any of this for a very, very long time because somehow, some way, someday, there was something else out there that would solve my problem. And, um, you know, when I got came in here, you know, and I didn't come in here to do this 12-step deal. I didn't come in here to have a spiritual awakening. You know, I came in here to have the shit quit happening. That's just the truth, you know, because I was – you know, based on, you know, and I love this, you know, we can't differentiate the truth from the false. You know, whatever was going on with me was certainly just the truth, you know, and I wasn't letting anybody into this little head to, for them to tell me, can you really, why don't you like look at what you're, you're believing and what you're saying? This is not the truth of life. You know, this is your truth, maybe. And so therefore, you know, my, al- I love this, my alcoholic life Life seemed normal. It was normal to me from an early on age. You know, and this is my story. Early on, it was uh, food, and then you know when I started having consequences of gaining weight. So then I had to find something different, and then it became booze and drugs, whatever it was. You know, something that I had to put into my mouth so that I could quell that discontented irritability and restlessness that was going on with me. You know, and. Uh, and I was looking for a substance, whatever it was, and I certainly was not looking for a power greater than myself because back then, you know, I was that power. And, and today I'm just so, so grateful that I was sufficiently beaten, you know, down to a, a state of reasonableness to start right there. And then today, you know, I search, I seek that power greater than myself so that I can have a different life. And that is what this, the 12 steps have given me. And, and with that, I'm, I'm, I am just so grateful. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. Monica T. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Florida. And all I can say here is diddle, diddle, diddle. And I think everyone is, what amazing shares this morning. So here we are in the doctor's opinion. And Dr. Silkworth here is talking, how did he know me back in 1939? I don't know, but here I am. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. You know, and I denied that for a long time. I didn't know what I didn't know. But yeah, yeah. You know, I turned to food because I got something from it. You know, it numbed me out. I didn't have to think. You know, I go into the zone. You didn't have to deal with anything, Monica. And I thought, hey, this is okay. This is great. Well, it worked for a while until, like has been said, and then it turns around and bites me in the butt, and my butt got huge. And Dr. Silkworth is trying to tell us about the allergy of the body. He's mentioning a little bit about the obsession of the mind going on here, but this physical aspect of our disease. So he says, okay, you've put down the food, Monica, and what happens? You get restless. You get irritable, annoyed. You get discontented, unhappy. Unless, they can, unless I can again experience a sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. You know, I'm irritable. I'm unhappy. You piss me off. And I've also learned that if I'm bored, that's not a good place. I'm a lazy person and I don't get bored. But if I'm bored, there's something going on. And my mind, because it's had decades and it knows this, it's very smart. Monica, I know how to make you feel better, Monica. You know, a piece of that over there, that would, you know, that'll take care of you. You've been good for so long, and it'll be okay. You'll be able to have just two of those cookies. And then Dr. Silkworth says, yeah, right. And what happens? You're going to set off the allergy, Monica. 
And that's going to mean you're going to develop this phenomenon, this experience of craving. And then you're going to go through this cycle. And it's like, wow, how do you know this? And this is what I did over and over and over again for decades and decades. How do I get out of this cycle? I tried. I'm a smart, intelligent woman. And I've been successful in all areas of my life except this area. Why can't I put this food down? Why can't I keep it down? I'm really going to do it. This is it. This is the last one. I'm not going to do this again. And the next morning, where am I? Back in the food again. And I would repeat this over and over again. And I would make resolutions and promises that I, you know, this was it. I wasn't going to do this anymore. But I have to know that this, this phenomenon of craving is after I have put my allergic food in. And like others have said, you've got to identify and put down your allergic foods. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica T. Leah S.? Did you call on me? I did. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Thank you so much, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. Um, this is Leah S. A. Recovered compulsive overeater. And um, wow, so many beautiful ships. Everyone was telling my story. And uh, oh wow, I hear uh, noise in the background. Um, uh, this is the story of my life. I picked up and I put it down with a resolution that I'm never going to overeat again. And then I picked up again because I could not deal with my life. I could not deal with the consequences that my life brought me on. And there was, I needed, I needed that good feeling. I needed that feeling of comfort and ease. So I just picked it up. So when I came into this program, I understood that. It was explained to me that, you know, all I was doing was constantly, I came here when I was in my 50s, my whole life, this is what I was doing. At least half of my life, what I was doing, I was picking up every time that I wanted to feel good, that I wanted to feel good, and 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 it just you know, and then I felt good, and then and then I got started feeling not good again, and I started picking up again. I forgot everything that I promised myself. I'm never going to pick it up. So what is wrong with you, Leia? Why are you picking up? Sometimes that kind of thought came in. And because I started yelling at myself within myself, what is wrong with you, Leia, that I started feeling again not good. So again I picked it up until I could finally understand the intensity that I had had by picking up to feel good with that same intensity, put that feeling into your higher power. With that same feeling, and that is when I started making it. 
and that is going to start making feel you feel good. And why don't you try it, Leah? And that's what has happened, and that's what got me out of the rut. It is a vicious, vicious cycle, and it is so, so um, powerful. I didn't even know. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah S. Amy G. Amy G, you're next. We'll move on then real quick here. We'll go to Kathy C. Kathy C, star one to unmute. Well, then I will open it up for those that would like to share. It looks like we have space for maybe five more people to share, maybe six time on the loud. Janice F. KDF. Rachel W. Tracy T. Tracy T. Nicole. Let's see what I I have here. Um, I have KDF. I have Katie F, Janice M, Rachel W, Sarah, and Nessa R. And I think that's going to take us to the end. So let's start with Katie F, please. Melanie, it's Charles. There was a newcomer, Nicole, that came before Nessa R. Thanks, Charles. Go ahead, Katie F. Okay, thank you. Good morning. This is Katie F. Can you hear me? I can. Thanks. Good morning. Okay, great. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and <clears throat> the thing that jumps out at me is um, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. And I was in OA for six years, and um, my disease progressed in the rooms um, because I never truly put the food down. I never truly worked the steps, and it got worse and worse. And so then I got to the point where, really, I just... <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, just not feel so awful about myself. And I really had no idea that I could ever have neutrality with food. And so, you know, (laughs) there's people on this line, I'm sure it's January 10th and, you know, you've gone through the holidays again, um, succumbing to the uh, foods that other people seem to be able to eat and put down. And, you know, it's, the idea that you can have neutrality with food, well, I'll just speak for myself. I just didn't even think it was possible, and I couldn't imagine it because I had never had it in my entire life. And I, I really thought that just everyone thought the way I did about food. I thought that everyone, you know, had a pulse of what was in the kitchen at all times and uh, was aware when so-and-so left some on their plate and was aware when there was no one in the kitchen and maybe they could sneak in there and get some more. Um, It isn't, you know, and so my desire and my wish was not that I would be neutral with food because it just wasn't even on my radar that that would ever possibly happen. And, you know, that is the difference for me today is that it's not that I, I, um, you know, have this great willpower and I don't want to eat the food, it's that I don't even think about the food. I don't want the food. It's not calling me by name. 
um, the way it did. And, you know, I wish I could say the moment that that happened, I wish I could say, you know, this exact formula that I did. But as, you know, our friend from Arizona says, you know, recover, recover, recover. The difference for me that happened was I was willing to do what I was told. And I was willing to follow directions, whereas before, in the rooms of OA, I wasn't. I tried to rise to the lowest denominator that was presented, and I saw people able to go out and eat foods that it turns out I can't ever eat. I've never eaten again. And I tried to fit into that mold. And, you know, it just didn't work. But all I did was say, okay, instead of yes, but. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, KDF. Janice M. Good morning to you again, Melanie. See, this is a, a recovered, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, Janice M. from Massachusetts. Oh, my God, I am so glad, too, that we went through this because the words, the words. I'm just going to go over some. First of all, if I had to label this paragraph, the label would be in capital letters, powerless. Powerless over the allergy, power, which is the body, once I ingest something, and powerless over my desires for food. You know, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a real compulsive overeater. When things are good, I don't uh, desire a drink of alcohol. I may, even, I may desire, before I took the steps to remove that desire for one day, to take maybe a, a piece of cake. That's how I used to be. But you see, the allergy, I love the phenomenon of craving, that whole word. See, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people, including myself, when I first came in here, the phenomenon of the word craving. Oh, I crave that substance. You know, pregnant, I crave a certain substance. Well, that's not true in the book, in the big book. The word craving, like it was said, comes after we succumb, after we give in to that substance to put into our mouth, no matter what it, you know, our, our binge foods. Then that phenomenon, only I know that feeling of craving. Some people eat and they eat too much, but I know what that craving is because I have it. I had it, you know, when I picked up the wrong substance. So succumbing, am I going to succumb now? Okay, so you don't pick up the food you don't, for one day. You get into the steps. Now, the second part of my problem is the obsession, which means the thought, my desire. I can, I can be stone cold abstinent for six months and say, oh, if I'm not in the steps, like I've done many times, I will say, oh, do I, do I crave a pick or crave a donut or whatever it is? It's not the craving because I don't have it in my system. It's the desire. That's what it, the desire comes from, I'll always have the desire, but will I succumb to the disease or will I, will I succumb to God? And the only way that can be done to a higher power is to go through these steps because the higher power is the only one that will remove that desire for one day. That's how I don't want it because the desire is not there. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. 
Thank you, Janice M. Rachel W. Good morning, Melanie. It's so good to hear you on the line. And good morning, everyone. This is Rachel W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater calling from New York. And, you know, I'm just stuck on that word remorseful. You know, that, that remorseful for me, you know, after the stages of those sprees when I, I couldn't stop, you know, it, it, was, it was a really painful place. It was excruciating. It was torturous. It was fierce. But it was never enough to keep me from picking up again. And I'm talking about, you know, being diagnosed with gestational diabetes, being handed an insulin uh, tube to be, you know, shoving, poking into my thigh every day and on the way home stopping at a bakery. You know, I'm talking about so many countless other situations where I just couldn't, I tried doing it for other, I just couldn't do it for anyone else. I couldn't do it even for my own self. It, the remorse was I, you know, it, it, I thought I wouldn't survive the remorse, and yet it wasn't enough. And and Bill W. in the 12 and 12 is, tells us tells us that unless unless I I keep it on myself, unless I admit my utter defeat with this, you know, unless I really succumb to the no, this notion that not even a notion, the reality that I I my life is unmanageable with this food. I cannot have those foods and I have to watch my food behaviors until I admit that my future sobriety is precarious. You know, I know we're focusing here, um, but the, the, I want to just tell newcomers the importance of focusing here is because unless I really dil, dig in and drill into what my absence needs to be, my future sobriety is precarious. It's, I, 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 may not, I might choose a food plan that might seem comfortable and might seem, okay, this makes sense. You know, it doesn't include those binge foods. But I, 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 I'm jeopardizing my future abstinence unless I, I in this step one, I, I sit down and I determine what I, I can and cannot have and make it you know, that make it that that's my food plan and admit that utter defeat because by doing so and, and this is what he tells us also there is is we build a bedrock. This is the foundation upon which our purposeful and meaningful life is built. I'm not doing this as a diet. I'm not doing this to keep my weight down, which is absolutely wonderful to, to have your weight down. That's great, but that's not why I'm doing this. You know, I was um I was recently this past weekend I was at an event and someone was handing me a shot of chocolate liqueur and telling me how, oh, you could just have this little bit. And she's explaining this whole thing about the chocolate. I'm looking at her and she was the hostess and I'm, and I'm saying to myself, she just doesn't get it. I, not only does, should I not take that liqueur because she, her body will be empty probably within an hour, but, but I'm not doing it because of the calories. I'm doing it because that's just the start of me taking my will back in every other way and showing up in your life, causing you chaos and ending up on your 10-step list. That's what that chocolate liqueur is. It's, it's so much more than just a little bit. You know, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a definite sign that I'm on the way out. And, and that's what it is for today. We're going to get on to the – I know soon we're going to talk about the psychic chain, but that's what it is for me. It's just the acceptance. It's the surrender. And why am I doing this? I'm surrendering my will. I'm admitting this utter defeat. I'm, I'm putting it into the hands of, my, of God, of, to my sponsor, so that I can have this firm bedrock to build the rest of my program. And I thank you so much for allowing me to share. And I pass. Thank you, Rachel W. Sarah W., you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. <clears throat> my name is Sarah W. I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, you know, I love the paragraph, too, and so much has been said about um, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, and 
the thought that came into my mind is that I could never delay gratification. I was unwilling to feel pain and to deal with it. I didn't know how. And so in that God-sized hole, I would just shove anything I could. And what an unhappy, self-loathing woman I was. And um, behind that pain and underneath it really was the... um, the actual statement of, you are not enough. Sarah, you are not enough. And that's just my take on the whole thing. Um, To get to a place where I wanted to do something different, I had to have enough of the idea that there's hope that something better can happen for me and that I don't need to keep on... um, putting myself in a position where I um, I keep damaging myself, where I keep um, putting myself in a position where uh, I'm sabotaging constantly, constantly. And that comes with surrender and the idea that everything that I have tried has not worked. And of course, it talks a lot here about lack of clarity. How could I have clarity? I mean, there's no way. So I have to first accept and concede to my animal self that I have a problem, but not think that I am not worthy. I have to have some sense in my heart that I'm worthy of something good, and that's when recovery can happen. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Nessa R.? Hi, good morning, Vision for you. This is Nessa R. recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, what I learned about myself um, going through the recovery process is that I don't like, I don't like discomfort. Um, I don't like discomfort, um, which is brought about not only by negative situations and negative emotions, but also positive ones like happiness and excitement. I just cannot deal with it. And this is what I ate. I ate in order to bring down the decibel level of my emotions. And this is also the reason why abstinence was so hard for me. You know, abstinence without recovery is extremely uncomfortable. It is extremely uncomfortable because I have no refuge from, from those um, emotions that I want to hide from, that I want to numb out. And, you know, this, in life, there's no, there's no escape to discomfort. We are going, it's, it, discomfort is, is part of life. Um, and this is why the obsession of the mind is so powerful, because it grabs on to that aversion to discomfort to get its foot in the door. You know, no matter what kind of resolution I make, no matter how steadfast I am that, you know, like, I'm never going to do this again. You know, the obsession of the mind capitalizes on my inability to tolerate discomfort. Um, And the only way that abstinence um, can become permanent is by by, um, achieving a different way of of, uh, dealing with that discomfort. And, of course, the, the big book tells us that the solution is a higher power. However, in the initial stages of recovery, I have no access to that higher power. I have, I have zero access to that higher power until I unblock myself from it, um, which is where the steps come in. 
But what happens between the moment I put down the food and the moment I get recovered? I mean, there's just a period of time um, where I'm going to go through a great deal of discomfort. And this is where the will has its positive use. I mean, we really in, in the 12-step uh, uh, rooms, a very negative view of, of self-will. And the problem is not self-will itself, it's self-will run riot. And I think it's in the 12 and 12 in, in step three that, that we are told that after all, God gave us brains to use. He gave us our will. And to use our will to remain abstinence during the time that it takes to work the steps. And of course, that time should be as short as possible because we can only write knuckle abstinence for so long. Uh, that is the proper use of the will. You know, can I use my will to remain abstinence for a couple of months while I work the steps? I, I, I probably can, but much longer than that, I, I really don't know. I really don't know because discomfort is not my business. However, once I have a different solution and I don't need the food to deal with my discomfort, then I don't even have to worry about my abstinence because it's not an issue. I have another solution, a much better solution, a much, much, much permanent solution, which only comes about by being entirely abstinent and working these steps as fast as I can and as thorough as I can and as precisely according to the instructions as I can to unblock me from my true solution, which is God, and with that I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Nicole, you'll be our last person to share today. Hi, um, I'm Nicole, I'm a compulsive overeater, and I've been programmed for five months, this month to make six, and on what we're discussing, the allergy. I have to admit, when I first read the doctor's opinion, I didn't connect to it. I was like, um, yeah, whatever. And then I reread it again, and I thought about it. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've had an allergy. I had an allergy to flour. I had eaten it during finals week, and I had it every day, four days in a row. And on one particular day, the fourth day, I had this pain in my stomach for like two hours. And I knew then, and to be honest, I knew way before that even happened, that I had to give it up. And when I said the words, I can't live without this, I knew, oh, yeah, you have to let this go. And it was hard. But when I actually put aside Nicole's plan, because I've been going by Nicole's plan since I came to program, and I realized, you know, Nicole's plans don't work. <laughs> and it's amazing how just surrendering and saying, you know what, I, I'm not in control. To be honest, I never was. My life just goes easier when I say, you know, I leave everything up to my higher power and just let go. And I was holding on to so much because I didn't think I was worthy of anything. So the food meant more to me because that, which was killing me, seemed a lot better than me actually having happiness because, oh, no, I didn't deserve that. So the food, that relieved me. It's like, okay, that's my escape. That escape was television, novels, and food. And 
it meant everything. I I would be playing with my niece and my nephew, and I wouldn't even enjoy the moment because I'm like, oh, my gosh, when are we going to leave the park so I can go eat my bench snacks? And it's like I'm missing out on that moment because I'm obsessing over what I'm going to go eat instead of enjoying watching my niece and nephew play. And it's not until recently where I realized that, oh, my gosh, I'm powerless. I had the hardest time admitting that. I knew that my life was unmanageable, but the the powerlessness thing is like, oh, I've been powerless. It's like, oh, I was powerless in relationships. I was powerless with my parents. It's like, oh, this is another thing I have to be powerless over? No, I'm not doing that. I'm resisting. I'm going to be strong. I can do it on my own. And it's like, no, I can't do it on my own. And I see that now, and it, I prayed about it last night, and it's like, well, Nicole, you need to let go. And I cried, and I cried. I knew the, the moment that I sat there and I cried over a box of something sugary that I was like, okay, yeah, I need to let go because I'm killing myself, and it's time to live. And if that means giving up what you think you need and letting God give you what you deserve, which is life, that's so much better than any binge food. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nicole. And thank you to everyone who shared today. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Katie F. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.